science story, huh? And I just thought, well, I figured it out. It was that golden moment because science was on my side. Hey everyone, welcome to the Story Collider, where true personal stories about science help us to discover how weird and wonderful it is to exist in this world and be a human. I'm your host, Misha Gajewski, and this week our stories are all about finding a new normal. Because sometimes life throws a curveball and you need to adapt and figure out how to live life in this unfamiliar and unusual reality. Both of our stories explore this idea of finding new ways of being. Our first story is from Tracy Starin. Tracy is a writer and storyteller from Queens, New York. She has performed on stages all over North America, and you may have heard her stories on podcasts like Risk and The Volume Knob, as well as Stories from the Stage for World Channel. Tracy is also the co-producer of the storytelling series Food for Thought for the National Storytelling Network. We recorded her story at the Tank Theater in New York way back in October 2021. Her story is all about finding creative solutions to inconvenient problems. And who doesn't love a good creative solution? Here's Tracy. So a patient advocate came into my room to assess the level of care I'd need once I was discharged from the hospital. For six weeks, I'd been treated for a neurological disorder that left me vision impaired. Once I left the hospital, I would need to see a neurologist, I would need to get regular blood tests, and I would need to go to an eye clinic. It was going to be a lot. But I only had one thing on my mind. How was I going to be able to read? I had lost enough vision that I could no longer comfortably read. And I love to read. I love to read. I was that kid who hours after my bedtime was hiding under the covers with a flashlight and a book. I won gold medals in the Reading Olympics when I was in elementary school. I used to hide a book in my lap under my desk in elementary school and read while my teacher was talking. I read piles of novels and stacks of magazines, any magazine. Fashion magazines, cooking magazines, entertainment magazines. I was in manicures for a while, and I had piles of magazines devoted to nail care and design. And then when the internet became part of my life, I started every day by scanning world news, local news, entertainment news. It was how I stayed part of the conversation. It was how I stayed in the loop. And I didn't know how that was going to happen now. Being suddenly visually impaired being suddenly disabled was already making me feel detached from things. Friends and family didn't really know what to do with me. They were already sort of talking about me and around me and behind me instead of talking to me. And I didn't know how I was going to be part of things if I couldn't read. Reading was how I learned things. When I was a little kid, my recurring nightmare was that I was going to come home from school one day and my family would have moved away and left me by myself with no forwarding address. And I felt like without being able to read, this is what my life was going to be like. Everyone was going to move ahead and I was going to be stuck behind. 
but I remembered something that I heard George Costanza say on Seinfeld. <laughs> was it possible that there was a library that could get me any book on tape? The patient advocate didn't know. She told me to check with some of the advocacy groups once I got out of the hospital. So I called the New York State Commission for the Blind, where I found a very snippy man who didn't know anything about the books on tape. He told me to check with some of the advocacy groups. So I called the Lighthouse International, and what they mostly did was put me on hold, but they didn't tell me about the books on tape either. And so while I, while I sought out these books on tape, I went to my local library and I checked out all the audiobooks they had on CD, which was one small shelf. And it was great, but I needed more. And I know you're wondering why they didn't just Google it. But believe it or not, in 2006, everything in the world wasn't just available on Google. Eventually, I came across a group called Visions. And I talked to a woman who had lost her eyesight as an adult like me. And she was very generous with both time and resources. And she told me about the Andrew High School Braille and Talking Look Books Library right here in New York City. And it was like the door to a secret world had opened up. You know that part in Wizard of Oz when everything goes from black and white to color? That's what my world was like. All I had to do was call them with the name of an author or the title of a book. And if they had it, they would mail it to my house on cassette tapes that I could play in a player that they also provided. It was this big beige plastic behemoth of a player, something that you would see in a 1970s classroom with large, easy to find, easy to use buttons for play and fast forward and rewind and eject. They didn't have things that were especially new because it took like six months to a year for them to get stuff in. And they didn't have things that were very geared towards pop culture. So if I guiltily went looking for the latest celebrity tell-all, they probably wouldn't have that. But they had all the classics. And I thought, this is a good time to renew my status as an English major. And so I started to reread books that I hadn't read since college, and in some cases, even high school. And I read Pride and Prejudice and Middlemarch and Ethan Frome, and I was almost overwhelmed with how wonderful this was. I was home alone, recovering from an illness, and it gave me something to do. It gave me something to think about besides medicine and doctors and appointments. And it gave me something to talk to people about. Although, people are funny. They don't mean to be hostile. They don't mean to be ableist. But to this day, when I mention a book that I've read, somebody will always make sure to point out, well, you didn't read it, though. You listened to it, right? Yes, yes, I listened to it. And thank you so much for making that distinction for me. And I've even had people say that listening doesn't count as reading. And it's kind of funny to me because a lot of the technology that sighted people really enjoy, like Siri and Alexa, is based in assistive technology that started out for the blind. But people are funny. Well, <laughs> I, I was... I was really overwhelmed with how wonderful all this was for a while. But then 
even the extraordinary starts to feel mundane. And after some time, I started to feel almost restricted by being tethered to this big plastic player and my home computer, especially since the rest of the world was going handheld because the iPhone had been introduced. I didn't think an iPhone could ever be part of my life. First of all, I wasn't working and I couldn't afford those kind of payments every month. And also, it was that little tiny screen with that little teeny touch keyboard. It seemed logistically impossible. The future was here and I wasn't invited. I was stuck in a Flintstones past while everybody else was headed to a Jetsons future. I was barely past 30 and already I felt like somebody's doddering old auntie. What's an app? What's an emoji? But then I talked to my friend Peter who works for Apple and he told me that all Apple products are accessible. And just by engaging these settings for the vision impaired, I can customize it so that I could use it. He also told me about the iPod Touch, which does everything an iPhone does except make phone calls. And it is dependent on Wi-Fi, so there is no monthly bill. And just like that, I was in the loop again. I was part of the same conversation as everybody else. I could scroll through my social media accounts without being tethered to my home computer. I could look up things on Wikipedia. I could study a language on Duolingo. And then there were these podcasts. A whole, a whole platform that was audio-based and their popularity was on the rise. I loved podcasts. I listened to tons of podcasts. It was like somebody had invented an entire form of entertainment in response to me going blind. Now, I was more in the loop than some of my sighted friends. I've even been on podcasts. Sometimes I listen to something funny like Doug Loves Movies. Sometimes it's like journalistic true crime like Serial. Sometimes it's in-depth interviews like WTF with Mark Marin. I loved podcasts. And then my friend gave me her Audible password and I got to listen to all the books that she had bought. But these weren't like the talking books that I was used to. These were audiobooks elevated to a new art form, like fully produced radio plays, sound immersive experiences that I could lose myself in for hours. But audible books are a little bit expensive and there's no such thing as waiting a year till it comes out in paperback for $7.99. But then I found out about this app called Libby that allows me to take digital books out from my local library. And after two weeks, they just disappear off my digital shelf. I don't even have to worry about returning them. Nothing's ever gonna replace the feeling of a book in my hand, the crispness of a page turning between my fingers, getting lost in the stacks of my library or poking around a used bookstore, looking for hidden gems, pulling off the shelf every novel that fits my, my mood at the time. That's gone to me now. And I wouldn't necessarily have chosen this. But I think this is the best time so far to be blind because there's an ever-changing world of technology that's helping to keep me in the loop. Thanks. Thanks.
That was Tracy. To learn more about her, visit our website, storycollider.org. Being a storyteller on our stage is just one way to make Story Collider happen, but we know that can be intimidating and might not speak to you. So maybe becoming a Story Collider donor is more your speed. Story Collider donors play an increasingly important role in our ability to bring you this podcast. We're in this together. Story Collider is one big experiment that's designed to connect us around our love of discovery, curiosity, and the natural world. If you believe in the power these stories have and this mission, please consider donating to the Story Collider at storyclutter.org donate. The most popular level is $10 a month, and you can make your tax-deductible donation at storyclutter.org donate. But really, any level makes a difference, and we're so grateful to everyone who supports Story Clutter. Our next story is from Ayana Duki. Ayana is a stand-up comedian based in Brooklyn, New York. She has been featured on HBO's Pause with Sam J, True TV's Laugh Tracks, Two Dope Queens on WNYC, NPR's Snap Judgment, Fox's Laughs, and AXS TV's Gotham Comedy Live. Her story was recorded in December 2022 at Caveat in New York City. Her story is about that super relatable thing we all do when you get not great news that means you have to make a pretty big life change and you're not ready to deal with it. So you just kind of pretend it's not happening. Yeah, that. Anyways, here's Ayana. The worst thing about having lupus is no one knows what the hell it is. In fact, when I was diagnosed with lupus, I didn't know what the hell it was. The only thing I knew about lupus is Tony Braxton has it. And I was like, well, that bitch looks good, so we gonna be all right. (laughs) Which is not how you're supposed to judge a disease. Now, the other thing is When I got diagnosed, I found out via email. My doctor sent me an email that said, Miss Dookie, you have lupus. I've enclosed the name of a rheumatologist. Please call them, set an appointment, take care. Take motherfucking care. (laughs) Now in college, One of my best friends got chlamydia, and you know what else she got? A phone call. (laughs) So I just assumed that lupus can't possibly be that serious if I'm finding out via email. Chlamydia must be way more serious than lupus. So I go to my first rheumatology appointment and my doctor starts asking me if I'm experiencing these symptoms, which start to poke holes in my theory that chlamydia lupus. Uh, The first thing is, are you sensitive to sunlight? Are you experiencing extreme fatigue during the day? And I was like, am I turning into a vampire? Because this seems very vampire-esque. And if I am, are we talking like Twilight or like Blade? (laughs) Because that's very important to know. More questions. Are you experiencing hair loss or thinning? Do you have sores in your nose or mouth? Are you having a hard time breathing? No, no, no. 
all right, well, you're gonna have to take these medications for the rest of your life. By these, she gave me one at that point. She gave me uh, hydroxychloroquine. Uh, street name is Plaquenil. You guys might have heard about it. <laughs> uh, people assume that it cured COVID. Um, I'm not here to tell you, but I will tell you uh, that I had COVID twice and I've been on hydroxychloroquine for 10 years. <laughs> Science. So this woman tells me that there's no cure for lupus and I will be taking this drug for the rest of my life. The rest of my life. The I am 31 years old at this point. The rest of my life seems like a really long ass time. So I'm also confused because I, I, I'm like, whoa, there has to be some other way to do this. Like I can't possibly see myself taking this. Cause again, I don't think lupus is that, is that serious, right? Based on the information I have right now. Like, is there anything else we can explore? Like, can I change my diet? Are there any herbs I can take? Can we, can we ask Toni Braxton? She seemed to figure that out. <laughs> Have you seen her? She looks really good. Like maybe we can set up a call. And my doctor was like, your diet has nothing to do with it. That was a lie. Um, you're gonna have to take these drugs and I don't know who Toni Braxton is. And the last part is when I should have just found another doctor, <laughs> but. So I leave with these drugs, I'm, I'm upset and I'm confused because again, I'm thinking chlamydia, lupus. And then I remember when my, when my best friend got chlamydia, they, they gave her like antibiotics and like she took that for like a week and then she was back out in the streets hoeing. Like I, you know. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, my theory is still, it's start, more holes are developing in this. And the last time I spoke to her, I didn't hear her talking about taking her daily chlamydia meds. So I was like, I think she's done with the chlamydia. How am I having to take this every day and there's no cure? Four days after this doctor's appointment, I, I'm, I think I'm fine. Four days later, I start having flu-like symptoms. But unlike the flu, within two hours, I went from feeling completely normal to just complete body aches, crippling fatigue, could not do anything. I went to sleep, woke up, next morning I have arthritis from my jaw to the bottom of my feet. Just extremely painful. And at this point, I didn't know that 31 year olds could get arthritis. I thought it was just something old people got. But here I was. So that whole day I spent just fluctuating between being in pain and sleeping, being in pain, sleeping, being in pain, sleeping. And I just figured I would just sleep it off and just as quickly as it came on, I'll just wake up tomorrow morning and it will be gone as well. I woke up the next morning, it was still there. So I called my rheumatologist and she is not at all surprised at what happened, which also scared me. And she prescribes prednisone, which now I call magical poison at that time. <laughs> I love that this crowd knows. <laughs> at that time, I didn't know what it was. Uh, my boyfriend at the time, he comes over to pick me up to take me to the pharmacy. He looks at me and he tells me that he's afraid to touch me because I look so fragile at this point. We go to the pharmacy, we get my prescription, 
we come back and I'm standing in my kitchen. And now, over the course of less than a week, I've gone from being perfectly healthy to now staring at two prescription drugs. And when I say perfectly healthy, I was, at that point, I, I had lost 65 pounds at Weight Watchers the, week, the year before. Not only that, I was working for Weight Watchers as a meeting room leader, helping other people lose weight. I'd gotten in great shape. I'd ran Tough Mudder. I went vegan, and I wasn't just any old regular vegan. <laughs> I was them annoying-ass vegans. <laughs> I was one of them vegans to tell you that you're going to die if you eat cheese, like that kind of a vegan, right? So I, I just couldn't understand how I went from this person that was doing everything right to this person that is now on not one but two drugs with this incurable disease. What is happening? I started taking those drugs, and I, I, within 30 minutes, the prednisone kicks in, and as, as if nothing happened. And I'm like, what is this sorcery? <laughs> Later on, I realized, I learned, because I start to Google, um, that prednisone is a steroid that is commonly used to treat inflammation. And uh, some of the unsavory side effects are weight gain and basically fucks up your bones. Um, I am still, current day, dealing with prednisone weight gain because off and on, throughout my career of lupus, I've had to take it. I decided at this point that, oh, I got a real ass disease. Um, I should probably like call my friends and family and let them know. So I start making the calls and one of my friends, when I tell her, she says, well, at least it's not cancer. And I know she was trying to have a look on the brighter side type sentiment. So I didn't ding her for that because you know, I was thinking that chlamydia was, you know. <laughs> they didn't know what the hell it was either. So I was like, sure. But as I've lived with lupus, that whole, at least it's not cancer sentiment, has like haunted me throughout <laughs> my journey. Because the thing about lupus is it's ongoing. There's no start and stop. You know, when I'm going through a flare and people tell me, I hope you feel better. I literally want to scream, I'm never going to get better. Like, this is it. Like, it's just ups and downs. It's a constant day-to-day -day managing. I'm never going to be a lupus survivor. I'm always going to be a lupus warrior. And it's very hard to explain that to people because a lot of times people have a hard time understanding, especially because I look fine, that, I'm chronically ill. Lupus is what's called a, an invisible disease and an invisible disability. So even times when I'm sitting on the train because I'm experiencing a flare where my lungs are hurting or they're inflamed or my hands are aching or my knees ache, uh, there are times where people have come up to me and asked me to give my seat up for an old person and I've said no. Um, depending on the day, I might offer a, um, a reason, but I, I, I don't feel the need to because, again, that's part of having an, indivisible, an invisible disease. That's, that's my right. 
So having lupus for 10 years, I, I'm currently on a lot more drugs now than hydroxychloroquine, unfortunately. I now also take uh, immunosuppressants, um, which are actually low-dose chemo drugs. So it isn't cancer, but we have some things in common. And every month, I have to go to the hospital and have infusions. And it's annoying when people look at me and they tell me, oh, you're so strong, because I don't really have a choice. But I am grateful that over the 10 years that I've lived with this cruel mystery, as we call it in the community, that all of my organs are functional. So that is something I think about every day because I know so many warriors that don't have that luxury. So since this is something that I'm constantly going with, dealing with, I don't have an end to my lupus journey, which was one of the hardest things for me to come up with a story because stories are always supposed to have a beginning, middle, and end, and we just up in this. <laughs> it's like, how do, I, how do I end this? So I think about when I first was diagnosed, and I think about Tony Braxton, and I think about all these views of what I have about lupus, and, um, and that's my goal to always I'm an, a lupus advocate as well. I, I remember years ago when I used to lead Weight Watcher meetings, and uh, I had a member stay after a meeting, and she came to me because she was, having, she was having issues with her weight loss progress. She was very frustrated. And she says, it's very hard for me to lose weight because I have this disease called lupus. And I got excited in a weird way because I was like, ah, I, 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 know, I got this. I got this, I'm gonna be able to connect with this woman. You are me, I am you, I see you, sister. So I said, I, I, also, I also have lupus. And uh, she looked at me, she looked me up and down, just disgusted. And she goes, well, I don't, you don't have the kind of lupus I have. <laughs> and for the first time in my life, I was like, maybe I do got that Tony Braxton brand of lupus, cause. <laughs> Bitch was looking okay. <laughs> you guys have been great. My name is Leanna Dickey. Thank you so much. That was Ayana. If you'd like to learn more about her and her work, you can visit our website, storyclatter.org. Our website is just one way to connect with Storyclatter, but there's so many other ways, and we hope you'll use all of them. You can always follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Head to storyclutter.org to become a financial supporter. Or if you want to come to a recording session of one of our shows or want to start your own Story Clutter show in your community, you can learn all about that on our website too. The Story Clutter is very grateful for the support of Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. This podcast is produced by me, Misha Gajewski, along with Nikisha Roberts-Washington, Jen Chen, and Aaron Barker, executive director and co-founder of The Story Clatter. The stories featured in today's episode were produced by Aaron Barker, Zach Stovall, and Gastor Almonte. Special thanks goes out to Story Clatter's board and staff, including Anne-Marie Lonsdale, Lizzie Bernson, and Lindsay Cooper. Our theme music is by Ghost, and next week... I'll be back with stories about finding the kindness of strangers. It's the heartwarming, feel-good episode you won't want to miss. Until next time, thanks so much for listening. 